got a video to start our uh, sermon. Hopefully it works. Okay, what's first? It says to start with a helmet of flour, a handful of eggs, and a dash of salt. How much is that helping? Uh, it says here that it's more than a hunk of, but less than a whole mess of. So, maybe this one. Is there anything that has actual measurements? Yeah, it says you need eight cups of lard and four sticks of butter. We've got to go right to the store. When do we add this? Uh, it says apply bourbon as needed. To what? To chef. Oh. Um. Okay, now we have the sugar, right? Um, we're gonna need the other bag too. Well, there's no way that's right. I know, I know, Kevin. There's no way that any of this is right. Is it done yet? I can't tell. Well, it says not to leave it in there too long. I know. I don't wanna burn it. Nobody wants to burn it, Kevin. Well, how long does it say to leave it in there? It says bake in hot oven until done. <laughs> <laughs>
how not to let pride get in the way of things. And in the midst of that discussion, we get to verse 7. And James says this phrase, Therefore, submit to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, double-minded people. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Your laughter must change to mourning and your joy to sorrow. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you be with us during this time that you would make yourself known. Father, use me as a vessel. Use me. May the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you and we praise you. We ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and for His sake. And all God's people say. Um, now that, that passage kind of ends with a little bit of, huh, be miserable and mourn the weak, it says. There's some steps here that, that James has laid out on how to really overcome temptation, how to live this humble life. And the first one that he says is to submit to God because we have to submit to God. And the only way to regularly overcome temptation is a life following God. It's the only way we're ever going to do it regularly. If we, if we try to have God as an afterthought, if God is something that we just tap on or we add on somewhere to our life and we don't have Him as a center point and we're not in relationship with Him, we are never going to overcome temptation on a daily basis. Because if we're doing things in our power and, and doing it on our own, we can't do it. We're weak. We're going to fall. So what does it mean to submit to God? What does it mean to submit to God? We don't like that word. That word submit is not a word that we like in America. It's submission. We think all negative stuff, right? It's all negative. And we submit, that means there's something to me that I don't get. And truthfully, that's true. Because to submit to God means that your desires and your will take a backseat to His desires and His will. He may come to you and you may say, God, I really want to do this. And He say, I don't want you to do that. I want you to do this. I don't want you to go in that direction. I want you to go in this direction. I told you the story before about me going to, to camp as a counselor and God telling me He wanted me to be a counselor and me dragging my feet knowing that there is no way if I waited long enough I'd actually be a counselor. <laughs> Accepting a position as a ropes course leader and saying, God, I can't help it. Nobody's going to call me as a counselor now. The positions are all full. If there was a way I would do it, the phone rang in that minute. And it was David Whitelock from Camp Penal saying, Troy, we've got one counselor position left and it's yours. We've been praying over it. God said it's yours today. <laughs> okay. Okay, God. I really wanted to go to Cloudcroft. I really want to spend the summer in 70 degree weather. But if you want me to go to Marble Falls, I'll go. Submitting to God means that sometimes we don't get our desires. Sometimes our will isn't ours. His purpose and work for our life is what we seek to do. When we submit to God, we say, God... Where do you want me? Too often we live our lives by saying, I'm going to go here and then I'm going to ask God to bless it. I'm going to do this. God, please bless it. God, this is what I'm going to try. Please bless it. You know, it's kind of like, you know, when we go to that, that store and we buy the junk food we like, right? That processed junk food. And we pray, Lord, bless this for our bodies. <laughs> no, that's not the way that works. I mean, but that's, that's kind of how we try to live our lives in those. But if we're following God and submitting to God, we're allowing God to work in us and through us in a way that brings glory to Him. 
And we're going to say, okay, God, where do you want me to be? God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to take care of this? And so the first, the first step there was to submit to God. But then even the second step, he says, resist the devil. You know, God may give you the power to overcome, but he expects you to do your part of the work. The Christian faith is not a lazy faith. But I think for years we sold it as such. Just say you love Jesus and you're going to heaven. Just say you love Jesus and you're going to get there. Get your get out of hell free card. Nothing else has to change. But the Christian life is a life of change. We are called to be different. We are called to be several times in the scripture perfect. We are called to be holy. We are called to be things that the world is not. And so when we look at our faith, it's not a lazy faith. We, we have to realize that we have work to do. He says here, resist the devil and he will flee. Guess what? If you don't resist him, he's not going to flee. If you don't resist him, he's going to take up residence. He's going to sit down beside you and cook you a dinner. He's going to move into your house. That's what happens. You know, though I don't remember when it happened, I remember realizing when it occurred. This shift in my mom's parenting. At some point, my mom went from telling me what to do to empower me to make the decisions and allow me to fail on my own. There was a shift. It was very subtle because my mama was opinionated. Uh, so sometimes it was hard to tell. But there was a shift. Basically, she was saying, I've given you the tools to be the person we have raised you to be. Now I expect you to be that person. God has given us the tools. To stand up and overcome temptation. Now he expects us to just stand up and do what he's called us to do. He says, submit to God and resist the devil. Resist him. Stand up against him. He expects us. How do we resist the devil? Well, first, we don't allow him to take up residence with us. We don't play 42 with the devil. Or video games. I guess I can bring that to both generations. We don't play 42 and we don't play video games with the devil. We, we don't allow him to take part in us. We fight against the lies that he whispers in our ear. You know those lies. We all know those lies. You're not good enough. You can't overcome this. I know who you used to be. And we stand firm in that faith that we have. Resist the devil. God continues here after saying this by giving us more steps that actually just lead us to complete steps one and two. Submit to God and resist the devil. So that's how to overcome temptation. But three through six here are how we do one and two. Step three is what? Draw near to God. To overcome temptation, we must build our relationship with God. We have to build our relationship with God. We can't overcome temptation if we are not building that relationship. If we don't know, we don't understand. If we don't have that to fall back on. Are we spending time in the work? Are we spending time praising God? Are we spending time praying to God? Are we spending time doing ministry for God? Are we spending time doing the things that God would call us to do? Those are the things we have to ask. We have to grow that relationship and build that relationship. You know, it's, you don't build a relationship without being with somebody. There's something that's, that's happened in our world. Um, it's called Facebook or Instagram or any of the other social media networks. 
They have perverted the definition of friend. I have friends that I've never met. That live in Africa, that live in Asia, that live everywhere. And they're my friend, according to Facebook. I don't know them. They can walk by me in downtown Lapan and I would not know the difference. I would go, hey, and keep on walking because I wouldn't know who they are. A friend is something much different to me. I can, I can count my, my lifelong friends on one hand, and those are the people that I know that I can call them up tomorrow and say, hey, how's it going? What are you doing? Can I stop by? And they would say yes, and we would act like nothing had ever changed. Though we hadn't seen each other in 10 years. That's a friend. Someone that you know. Someone that you that you built a relationship, and you built that relationship. It's not somebody who I went, hey, never met you before, but can I come and you know hang out, stay at your house? That's but that's the way the world wants to define it. You can't get closer to God without Him getting closer to you. Draw near to God. You submit to God by getting to know God. And as you get to know God, you begin to trust God. Have you ever, you ever thought about that? that? When you first meet someone, there is always a level of distrust. Right? There's always a slight level. There should be. There should always be a slight level of distrust. If we're too trusting, we get taken advantage of, we get, we, you know, we can be in danger. And it's a fine line that we walk. But trust gets built. When I come to know Jesus, I was excited. I was made clean and I was made new. But I had to be in relationship with Him to learn to trust Him and all those little things. Right? God, I don't, know how to, I don't know how to take this step. Trust me. God, the, the, the ends aren't meeting. Trust me. God, I don't have the money to do that. Do it anyway because I've called you to do it. Trust me. We build our relationship with God, and as we build that relationship, we learn to trust Him. And he goes on and he says, Draw near to God, He'll draw near to you. And then he says, Cleanse your hands. To cleanse our hands is to take action against the outward appearance of sin. That physical act. This is a physical act. Literally, in, in Jewish culture, they would. They would ceremonially wash. They would wash their hands. They would wash their. They would wash. It was a ceremonial. But here, this is this outward sign to cleanse your hands. In Second Corinthians thirteen five, he says, "Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you yourselves not recognize that Jesus Christ is in you, unless you fail the test?" Psalm one nineteen fifty nine says, "I thought about my ways and turned my steps back to your decrees." And of course, First Thessalonians five and twenty two says, "Abstain from all appearances." Cleansing our hands is this physical act of, of showing that we are following God. That we are getting away from the outward appearance of sin. It's a physical act of, of removing ourselves from the situation. I met a guy one time who was going to college. And uh, he was struggling with internet sins. 
So he decided he wasn't going to have a computer. Um, that's almost impossible today. So he went and bought a typewriter. And did everything on a typewriter for his entire college career. In order to cleanse his hands. In order to say, I'm no longer going to do this. Scripture calls us to align our lives with the ways of God. To cleanse your hands is to work to make your life holy. To work to rid your body of sin. To work to be holy as God is holy. That's cleansing your hands. But then he says, purify your heart. To purify your heart is to condition your thoughts and feelings to respond to God rather than the world. Cleansing hands is external, but this is internal. This is relationship building. It's, it's focus changing. It's devotion to the path of God rather than the path of man. It's saying, God, my heart is no longer going to want the things of the world. It's going to want the things of you. It's allowing God into the inner recesses of our soul to change who we are. In Psalm 139, 23, it says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. It's allowing the word to take up residence in the place of worldly things. Your word, it says, is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. God's word is supposed to illuminate our lives in such a way that it changes us and changes our path. And then even 2 Corinthians 10, 5. We demolish arguments and every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to obey Christ. Purifying our heart is consciously making the choice to not allow these things to dwell in our minds. To not allow these things to dwell in our thoughts. We said before, it's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to keep dwelling on it. Purifying our minds means that we stop and we say, okay, I'm not going to let this happen. I'm going to take this thought captive. Not today, Satan. I'm not going to think about that. Not today, Satan. I'm going to leave that alone. It's hard to do sometimes. Especially in our culture. Our culture bombards us with things. With lifestyles. With choices. And we have to fight against it and war against it. We are called to do that. But the final, the final step he gives us is humble yourself before God. Mourning and sorrow over our sinfulness and inability to save ourselves should keep us humble before God. When he says you should mourn and weep and be miserable, He's not calling us to a life of depression. He's calling us to understand our place. And to understand that we cannot save ourselves. That we, apart from Him, are wretched beings who need salvation in Jesus. And when we see who we are through God's eyes, it should make us miserable. It should make us mourn. It should make us weep. Our laughter would change to mourning, our joy to sorrow, because when we remember who we are and what God has given us, we should be brought to the point of, wow, we were this, but God made us this. He doesn't leave us in mourning. He doesn't leave us at, at weeping. He doesn't leave us at being miserable, because that's not how this passage ends. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. When we become miserable and mourn and weep over our state of sinfulness and we humble ourselves before God, 
God takes us in that moment where we have said, God, we need you. And he takes us from where we were and puts us to where we can be. That's what happens here. The minute we begin to believe we're more than we are, we lose the battle with temptation. The minute I believe, begin to believe I've got this, I lose. I lose every time. I've shot one deer in my life. I hunted my entire life. Shot one. I was picky. It's in my, in my office. I'm not there. I'm doing this. And the morning we went hunting, we had finished throwing newspapers. We drove across plains where the land was. We walked to our stands. And it wasn't quite light yet. It was just a break. And as I sat there, I could hear something. Well, I saw a massive buck over there walk into the creek. And I could hear him walking down the creek. I just had 45 minutes listening to this deer walk on the creek bed. And he stepped out. He stepped out because I, I, there was a spot. There was a spot in front of my stand that I always said, if a deer stepped right there, I'm good. It's from here to Waldo. That's where he stepped out at. I could have reached out and grabbed his hand and yanked him down. He was so close. I just knew I had it. Now grab the rifle and on the way up and stop the stick. Two miles right. 30 minutes later, his baby brother stepped out and I shot him. Um, when I thought I had it is when I blew it. The same goes with sin. When we think we have it, when we think we've overcome, when we think we have the formula, when we think we don't need anything else, that's when we're going to fall. That's when we're going to fall. Every time. The funny thing is, medications like antibiotics, they prescribe you antibiotics for 10 days. And people take them for three and they say, I feel better. I'm going to save these for later. No, you're not, because it's going to come back worse, and that's not going to fix it. That's the way that works. It's the same way with sin. When we begin to think, hey, I got it, I can put this away, guess what happens? It comes back with a vengeance. You know, there's this, this small, simple formula how we can overcome temptation. He gave it here, but there's some simple steps that, that I, I have written out in my notes. One, identify your temptation weak spots. Identify your temptation weak spots. You've got to know what it is that's weak for you. If we were Episcopalian, I wouldn't put the recovering alcoholic in charge of communion. Because that would be a temptation. I wouldn't put him there. That's a weak spot. If your weak spot is, is television shows, maybe you turn the cable off. If your weak spot is something else, identify your weak spot. That's the first step. Two, focus on kingdom things. Hebrews 2, 12, 2 says to fix your eyes upon Jesus. Focus on kingdom things. Don't look at the world. You realize that when Peter stepped out of the boat to come to Jesus, he didn't start falling until he started looking around him. Focus on heavenly things. Spend time in the Word. And when temptation comes knocking on your door, send Jesus to answer. Quit answering the door. Let Jesus take care of that. 
This morning's Bible reading. I mean, I, I, we kind of talked about it. You know, I, I looked at Job, and the end, at the end of Job, Job was that long book, and his friends are so mean. You know you're a sinner, Job. You know you, you, you're lying, Job. You're not holy. You're a sinner. That's why God did this to you. And in the end, what did they do? God comes back and looks at his friends and he says, Boy, my wrath is kindled against you because you haven't spoken truth with me but not be like Job has. So now you go get your offering, your sacrifice. You bring it back. You come here and Job will pray for you. And after Job prays for you, I'll make you right. We got, we got to quit. We, we got to quit playing around with that stuff. If we're going to overcome temptation, we got to quit doing it on our own. We got to allow God to be the one to bring vengeance. Let Jesus open the door. Because when Jesus answers the door, He can tell the devil to get back. Maybe this morning, maybe you have been struggling with something. There's been a temptation that you've been struggling with that you can't let go of. Now is the time to say, you know what, I'm going to take those steps. I am going to, I am going to submit to God. I'm going to resist the devil. I'm going to cleanse my heart. I'm going to purify my, cleanse my hands, purify my heart, and I'm going to submit to God. I'm going to do these things. God, I give it to you. Now's the time. Maybe this morning you want to start a missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe this morning, though, you've never known Jesus. Maybe you've never known the one who died on the cross to save you. Maybe you've never made that, made that choice. you never made that decision. And so you can't. You can't call upon him. You can't send Jesus to the door. Because you don't have him. Now's the time to walk the aisles of the Detroit. I want to know Jesus. Because when you know Jesus, everything changes. Wherever you're at this morning, whatever you need, give it to him. Just pray for me. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you. We praise you for your blessings.